It's truly one of my favorite songs that we sing and listen to throughout the week. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. We are making our way through this wonderful Gospel. Uh, this is that we may, as we said, have certainty um, in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been in chapter 1 for quite a while. We will actually be out of it today. We will finish it up today. And so, uh, but as you're turning there, we do today celebrate Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday before Easter. And so in Scripture, this would be the day that Jesus Christ rides into Jerusalem and everyone begins to celebrate and to cry out to Him, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And you really want to know what that word means. Hosanna translates Please save. Or maybe, maybe another translation may be, save us now. Save now, I pray. This was not just a, a word that is just being thrown around. This is a prayer that was prayed for many years. They had been praying this, that God would come and save them and free them from this, this oppression of Rome and these other nations before Rome. But it eventually had become even a word of praise and celebration. It was a word that when the Messiah would come, they would worship and make much of Him. He has answered our prayer. Save us now. Here He comes. And so it is a cry, a shout for help and celebration. But there was a problem on that day. Those of us who you've read it, you, you, you've, you've read through this, you know it's a wonderful day, it's a great day. Christ is riding in. They are recognizing Him. Here is the King, here is the Messiah that has been, the, the promises have been fulfilled. But there was a, a problem. They, they were right on who He was. They were right in the identity that this is the Savior, but they were wrong on what He had came to save them from. Their shout of Hosanna was a cry of prayer to be delivered from Rome. Roman suffering, Roman oppression. It was a political and national freedom that Christ was coming to deliver them from, or so they thought. Maybe even a freedom from physical pain and suffering. But that was not the salvation that Jesus was bringing on that day. And that was not the purpose that He was coming and so as we are walking through this chapter in Lou, we are, we are seeing these praises, these songs of rejoicing as we've seen Elizabeth and Mary and now Zacharias, they're, they're singing these, these songs of, of joy and glory that God has sent a Savior. But we must ask the question, what is He saving us from? The events of Palm Sunday show us that it is not enough to just know that Jesus is the Savior. It's not enough to just be right about who is the Savior, but about what salvation He brings. There were people on that day who genuinely believed Jesus to be that Messiah, but He was not the Messiah they wanted, even though He was the Messiah that they needed. And Palm Sunday, brothers and sisters, a lesson it is a lesson in salvation. And so as we pick up where we left off last week, the second part of this song of Zacharias, 
the song, as I've entitled, the song of salvation. We are looking here at this praise song that he sings. If you remember, Zacharias and Elizabeth were old and barren. They were having, they, they could not have children. They'd prayed for a child and they, they could not have one. And by the grace and the mercy of God, he now grants them a child and his name is to be called John. We know him as John the Baptist, the prophet who would go before Jesus preparing the way. And now Zacharias sings at the birth and the circumcision of his son. He cries and begins to sing, but it is not a song that he has been given a child. Though That is something to, to sing about. That is something to give God praise about. But his song has nothing really to do with his own son. Why does he sing? There in, ver- there in verse 69, he tells us that he sings because God has visited us. And we saw this last week. God has visited us and he has came here to bring a salvation, to accomplish salvation for his people. Last week we saw the praise, the person, and the promise of salvation. But here in part two of the song of salvation, I want you to see that Zacharias, a Jew, a Jewish priest, no doubt, of all people, where where all the other priests get it wrong, this guy understands even before Jesus dies, even before he's born, he understands the salvation that he brings. And so in the song that we see this morning, in the, the final part of it, I want you to see the particulars, the preaching, and the peace of salvation. The particulars, the preaching, and the peace of salvation. So, so look with me here in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse, we'll pick up in verse 67. He says, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, that being Jesus. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. May God, have, may God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. If you would, notice first with me this morning the particulars of the salvation that Zechariah is singing about. In verse 74 and 75, Zechariah begins this, he gives this description of the salvation that God has, has brought or that God has accomplished. Notice he says, to grant us, grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. That phrase, to grant us, it means to give based on the decision or the will of the giver. The one who has, who has salvation gives salvation because he has decided, because it is his will, it is his determination. It is not the fact that the people have earned it. And so when we talk about the one who has granted, in this case, that would be God. 
and the recipient of the salvation would be Israel, but even we'll find out later that it's really more than that. The salvation will be will, will even go into the Gentiles, so it's even given to us. And so this salvation is given based on His grace. This, this is something we've talked about. It's this unmerited favor of God that we call grace. Something that we do not deserve. They, they did not deserve for Him to come and to deliver them. They had sinned. They had trespassed against Him. But He brings to them, He grants to them this redemption, this deliverance. God is rescuing them from a danger. This would be if you were to see someone drowning and you come and you, you dive in and you pull them out. They're rescuing you. You would see a slave who's in chains and you would, you, would, you would come in and you would break those chains and free them from that. That you are freeing them from a danger or you are freeing them from an enemy. But there's a question that we must ask right here. Who is the enemy? Because, because he says this a couple different times, that we are to be delivered or free, saved from the enemy. Well, for the Jew, one would think that this was Rome. At this present moment, they are suffering under the Roman oppression, the political oppression, even the physical oppression of Rome. And they wanted to be set free. Rome was the power of the day. Rome had, you know, basically had them under their thumb and whatever Rome decided, it was a done deal. They had to follow or die. They were mistreated by the Romans. So the question is, is Christ coming to save us? Is this a political freedom? Is this a a, a physical freedom, a national freedom? Is this a political or even a physical oppression of which we are being saved from? And there are many today who would say that it is. This is something that has been kind of going on for the last few years. That when we speak of salvation, it's always in terms of some type of physical or political oppression. And we see that this is going on in the, in the day of the Jews. So is this what was happening? Well, we know that on Palm Sunday that they celebrated Jesus, but later in the week they would crucify Him because they would soon realize that Jesus had not yet come to save them physically. He had not come yet to break the bonds of Rome, political oppression. But Zacharias knew exactly what he had come to bring. He knew the exact type of salvation that this child was going to have, that in six months when Jesus is born, he knew what he was coming for. He says, to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies, notice this, that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Notice that the deliverance, brothers and sisters, results in a peace, a serving God with peace, with holiness and righteousness. These are not physical things. These are spiritual. Notice we see that we are to serve Him without fear. What does He mean here? And, and for the sake of time, I just want to jump straight to this. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, we read this. John the Apostle. He writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves, don't miss this, punishment. Fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. In other words, the one who fears is not one who has, who has felt the relinquish of the punishment. He's not felt the love that removes the punishment. Our salvation results in God casting out the fear of our punishment and our judgment. You say, what do you mean, Brother Brian? Brothers and sisters, the Bible is very clear that you and I are sinners. 
We have sinned. We have trespassed against the law of God. And there is a punishment. There is a, there is, there is a destruction that must come upon us because we have committed the highest of crimes. We have, we have sinned and broken the law of the eternal, righteous, holy God. And therefore, every person is a sinner and under that punishment. Yet Jesus Christ comes to deliver us through His life, His death, and His resurrection. He comes to deliver us, to bring forgiveness to us, and remove not only our sin, but to remove also God's eternal wrath and judgment. But this is not all that He says here. He doesn't just come to save you. He doesn't just come to deliver you that you may have peace, that you may not have fear of judgment. Notice what he says, secondly, that you may serve God not only with peace, but you may serve God in holiness and in righteousness. This is the part that we sometimes tend to miss. Because the, the part of that God has forgiven me of my sins, and he is not only, he is not only justified in the fact that he's also going to remove the, the penalty of that sin, and one day I'm going to be set free from the presence of that sin, we tend to forget that God has also removed from us the power of sin, and that he has changed us and made us holy and righteous in his sight. Jesus' death does not just forgive you of your sins. That is not enough. Did you know that? It's not enough. You have to be right in the eyes of God. You have to be holy and righteous. And I don't know about you, but did you pinch yourself this morning? This, this body that you're in, this fleshly body, this fleshly mind, we are not righteous and holy. We are still dealing with the sinful nature. Now, the, again, his forgiveness comes with, a, with also breaking the power of sin and we are being sanctified. But I would believe that every one of us this morning woke up and remembered the old body that we're in and that none of us are perfect. So how in the world, though I've been forgiven of my sins... How can I be right with God and set apart and holy? We find here that not only has our sin been credited to Christ, not only that when Christ went to the cross and my sin was placed upon his shoulders and on that cross that he died, what we find is is that I also receive what? His righteousness. You see, it's as I tell people, I'm try to use just a thing if i have a, a sucker and you have a sucker and i've used it before and you drop your sucker in the ground and it's dirty and nasty and you ask me brother brian can i have your sucker i'm going to tell you no and i'm going to eat it in front of you that's sinful of me but jesus says yes he takes that which is dirty and nasty but he doesn't just take it and you're left with nothing you're not neutral he gives that which he has to you my his robes were clean and pure and white and yours are nasty and dirty and he he takes your dirty robes and he goes and they they're destroyed on the cross but in that thing it's called the swap he he gives me he gives you and he gives me his righteousness and so so Zacharias here is saying, not only do I, is the punishment removed from me from this child, he understands that from now on, I will be able to serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all my days. Christ, this child that is in the womb of Mary, who is perfect and right, will bring to me that which I could have never earned myself. 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus lived a perfect life and kept the law without sinning. And so when we exercise faith and repentance and belief in Him, when we turn from our sins, God grants us this righteousness. He credits it. He he gives us the credit for it. It doesn't mean that you are not sinning because we're we're heaven. It's not completely in fulfillment yet. That's glorification. That's heaven. But we are positionally, or maybe this term may be better for you, we are legally declared right and holy in the eyes of God. Brothers and sisters, you're not just declared innocent of wrongdoing. You are declared right and holy. Dear friends, before God grants us a full deliverance from our physical enemies, before God comes and grants to us a deliverance from any type of political or physical oppression or suffering, you must know that He must first deliver you from the greatest enemy that you face. And the greatest enemy that we face is not atheist. The greatest enemy that we face is not wicked politicians who do the wrong thing, who corrupt a country. You may not know this, the greatest enemy is not Russia and Putin. The greatest enemy is not that you are poor and you need to be rich. It's not that you, are, that you, that you don't have everything that you need or, or want and therefore you need to be given that. The, your greatest enemy is not that you're in bad health and you need good health. And let me say this, you may not like it, but let me just tell you the truth here. Your greatest enemy and greatest problem isn't even Satan. Because contrary to popular opinion, Satan didn't make you do everything bad that you've done. You did that on your own. I'm not saying he doesn't mess with you. I'm not saying he doesn't attack you. But brothers and sisters, a lot of our sin we blame on him, and that was on us. Your greatest enemy is you. Because you're not holy and you're not righteous. You have sinned against a holy God. And so the answer, the question arises, what hope do we have? And Zacharias sings, my hope is found in the one who grants to us deliverance. My hope is in the grace of God that through his precious grace, his saving grace, which is found in this very child, Jesus Christ. And it brings to me a freedom of sin, a deliverance from the penalty of sin. And it gives to me holiness and righteousness in his eyes. Dear friend, when we talk about Jesus dying to save people, we need to know what he's saving us from. He's saving us from ourselves. I ask you this morning, are you living in fear and conviction of the inevitable judgment that awaits you? If you are living in fear of that, then you do not know the salvation of God. If you were convicted this morning that you know that because of your sinful state, because of your unrighteousness and your, your, your lack of holiness, you are going to face God on the day of judgment. And brothers and sisters, this tells us that we do not know the, the work of salvation. Does your, does your life lack a devoutness and commitment to, the, to God and to, the, to His will? Do you have a holy life? Are you, are you devoted to living a life that is right in the eyes of God, that makes much of Him? Do you, do, does your life lack a, a, a life of purity and integrity? Are you convicted this morning that you're not right with God and no good deeds can save you? 
If you find yourself under conviction this morning, if you find that this judgment may be looming over you, I have good news for you this morning. Notice that, notice that Zacharias just doesn't, he doesn't just stop there by saying that, that he's going to deliver us from our enemies and make us holy and, and righteous. Notice that he continues on. Look at verse 76 and 77 as we look at the preaching of salvation. He says, now he finally turns to his own son, to John the Baptist. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. You see, brothers and sisters, we have to ask the question, okay, you've come to deliver me. You've come to make me right. You've come to make me holy. You've come to renew or to, or to take away this judgment and bring peace to me. But, but how can that happen? Maybe this morning you're sitting there going, how does this take place? Well, he gives us the answer here. It has to come through the knowledge of salvation. Notice that John the Baptist will go and prepare the way for Jesus. We know this is to be preaching. We've seen this already before in the previous weeks. If you were to look ahead to Luke chapter 3, verse 8, you would read this verse. John is preaching to the people, to the masses, and he says, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not uh, begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham our father. You see, in other words, brothers and sisters, you are to stop placing the hope of your salvation. You were to stop placing your hope of being right with God in your ancestry. This is what the Jews were doing. We have Abraham's our father. You made the covenant with him. We can even say, uh, we know this, that they also would say, we have Moses, we have the law. And so we kept the law. So, so let's just make this relevant for you and I. You cannot say, I have a hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ because I was raised by, my, by a good mama and daddy. They went to church. I ha- you can't say that it's because your name is just, you know, because you signed a card and, and, and you're baptized. It's not on that. You, you can't say because I do good things. John is preaching and he's telling the, the salvation, the knowledge of salvation does not come from your ancestry and the fact, fact that you keep the law. Brothers and sisters, we tend to place our hope in these things, but it does no good. So what is the hope that we have? John says here the hope of repentance of sin. And repentance is not just saying that you're sorry. It's not just saying I, I, did, a bad, I did a really bad thing. I'm really sorry. Repentance is turning from that sin. It's fighting that sin. It's turning away from sin and running to the, the very thing that is opposite of sin, which is God. He tells us you must repent of your sin. You must turn from it and run away from it. And not only that, show the fruit of a changed life. But where do you turn? If repentance is turning away from sin, and if I don't have the power to make myself holy, as you just said, Brother Brian, and make myself right, where do I turn? Well, continuing in John's sermon, but over in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 29, he says to the people, he says, the next day, John the Baptist here, saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. You see, brothers and sisters, John didn't just say stop sinning and turn away from sin. John pointed them to the very one who has the power to forgive them, the power to help them overcome their sin. John pointed them to Jesus Christ. And so this is exactly what Zacharias means when he says the knowledge of salvation. 
This is not a head knowledge. This is not the fact that you just know that you do bad things and you're just sorry about it. You just need to keep it in mind and have positive thinking. No, this is knowledge that comes through experience and participation. Your sin needs to die. And you need to be forgiven of this sin. But how can we ever participate and pay the price for our sin? Only in Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God. Dear friends, those particulars, those specifics of salvation, that peace and holiness and righteousness, it is gained only when you experience a saving transformation of the heart, a saving relationship with Jesus. You can try really hard to be really good, but you will fail. You can try really hard to accumulate good things, but you will fail because it will not forgive you of your sins. You can, you can attend church all of your life, but it will mean nothing because it will not forgive you of your sin. You can come from a wonderful, religious, upstanding family, but that will not erase your sin. You can love people and you can work to relieve oppression and suffering of many people. You can do many great things for many great people, but it will not erase or forgive you of your sin. There is only one There's only one person and one thing, one event that has ever taken place that can bring forgiveness. And your only way of of participating in that is is to come to Christ, call out to Him, call out to Him and repent and ask Him to save and to transform you. We know this as the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus that He died for your sins. That like, that like a sacrificial lamb, your sins placed upon him, he is taking them to the cross. He dies on that cross. Your sins are died. The judgment is, is, is absorbed in him. And there is not one drop of judgment, one drop of wrath left for those who have committed those sins because Christ has paid that penalty. When Christ, when we see here that he talks about the knowledge of salvation, it is not a head knowledge. It is a knowledge that is gained through experience and participation. You come to Christ and you lay your hand on Him and you say, in you and in you alone, I find my hope. There is nothing that can save me. Beloved, this is the preaching of salvation. This is what John was to do. This is what we do. We proclaim that people are sinners and that through the repentance of sin, they are forgiven of their sins. That through the recognizing of sin and turning from that sin and turning to Jesus and Jesus alone, we can be saved. And for anyone to stand in a pulpit and to preach salvation by any other ways is a false prophet and false teacher. It is vain. It, is, it, is, it has no merit. It has nothing to give to you. I know that the preaching of this sounds hard. I know that it's difficult and that it's tough for us to come and to call out and say that we are a people who have sinned. Well, but brothers, sisters, hear me this morning. To do anything else is in vanity. It is as It is as Solomon said, it is the chasing after the wind. You will find salvation. 
in no other type of preaching, in no other type of witnessing, in no other type of testimony. It is like the receipt that falls out of your truck on a windy day. That trash that falls out, it will catch it and it will go and you will look crazy trying to track it down. Your salvation can only be obtained in Jesus Christ alone. It leads me to the third point here. Notice that he says there at the end, he says, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Brothers and sisters, that sunrise, or the other word may be that day spring, we love it when the sun creeps over the horizon, don't we? It is really interesting here, you know, that there on 278 Durban Circle, I have a few less trees in my front yard these days, thankfully. And in early mornings, you know, fixing coffee there at the sink, the sun begins to creep up over the trees in the, you know, behind my neighbor's house and stuff. And there is just, it, it does give a beautiful, beautiful picture of the sun as it comes, as the light begins to break through the darkness. We love the day spring. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the spiritual day spring. Christ is our sunrise. He comes from on high. And when he comes, his light breaks the shadow of death. And he brings peace. He guides us into peace. And with that light, brothers and sisters, without that light, without him, there is no peace. There's nothing but turmoil. But here's the thing. Many of you would think that your peace in this life would only come if I, if I had more money, if I had better health, if, I, if this circumstance was better, if this circumstance was better. No, no, please hear me this morning. The peace that he brings is peace that you can have and to know in spite of your bad or difficult circumstances. Is there a day coming where he's going to remove all the difficult things? Yes. Is there a day coming where Christ is going to remove all oppression? Yes. Is there a day coming where Christ is going to remove us from all our physical enemies, overseas and even here at home? Yes. Yes. But the power and the glory of Christ is that even if those enemies remain around me, they cannot touch, nor steal, nor destroy the peace that comes through the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness and the justification of my sins and the promise of an eternal life with God. As one author put it, he said it this way, Jesus is the breaking of the dawn. He is the sunrise for mankind. He is the rising one that brought light into the world. His glory could not be nailed, jailed, derailed, or curtailed. The Son of God, the dayspring, arose from the grave, and His glory was not concealed, cloaked, covered, curtained, camouflaged, or contained at all in any way, not in one little bit. They tried. They mangled His body. They put him in a tomb and they covered it up with a, with a large stone to hide away the glory of Christ. But like light, like golden beams of the morning light that caused the blackness of night to scatter, Christ's message and life shattered the shadows of the hearts of sinners who had placed their faith and trust in him for heaven. 
The agony of evil no longer reigns in the life of those who have been touched by the radiance of our righteous Redeemer. Beloved, when Jesus Christ, the day spring, enters the heart of man, who puts his faith in him, the sun rises, the S-O-N, the sunrise in his heart will shatter the darkness of depravity and he will no longer walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life to live for God. Do you have that this morning? Do you have the true biblical understanding of salvation this morning? That Jesus came to remove darkness from within you. It was in you. And through Him and Him alone, that darkness is destroyed. Do do, do you have that this morning, beloved? The the light of Jesus that, that casts out sin and casts out fear of judgment. Do you have that this morning, that your life is a life being lived in holiness and right? I'm not saying you're perfect, but I'm saying you're fighting for it. Do you have that peace of knowing that your sins no longer rule over you and you no longer need to fear your future? And no matter what may come and no matter what the enemies may do to you, you know that your future with Christ is guaranteed. What does all of this mean this morning? What does the song of salvation mean this morning? It means that if you're one who answered that question and said, Brother Brian, I have none of those things today. I do not have the peace of salvation because I thought salvation was something else. Then come to Jesus this morning. Come to Him in all of your fear. Come to Him in all of your conviction. Come to Him in all of your burden and lay it at His feet and place your hand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Place your hand as they would place their hand on that lamb and believe with all of your heart and soul. Ask Him to help you to believe. Ask Him to help you fight these sins. Ask Him to come. Call out to Him. And under this conviction, brothers and sisters, you come to Him and you ask of Him to save you. Because we are given the promise in Romans 10 that those, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be and will be saved when you exercise faith in this type of salvation, in this Savior. But next I would say to the Christian, Is the deliverance of salvation visible in your life? Is it visible? Can we see the righteousness and the holiness that Jesus has brought to you in your life? Can the outside world tell that you have been delivered from your past sins and the sins that you're struggling with now? If not, then you need to examine your heart today. In just a few minutes, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper and you need to turn to Christ right now in repentance this morning of your sins and seek help from a fellow Christian brother and sister. But if your life is an example of God's deliverance, then praise and glorify Him this morning. 
ask of, I ask of you this morning that not only would you bring, worship him this morning, but you would also be a testimony of that saving power. And you go and you proclaim to all of your friends and all of your neighbors, you go and proclaim to the whole world this type of Savior and this type of salvation. Because this is not what people are hearing today. They need to hear of a God who sent his Son, who died for their sins, who rose to free them from the greatest enemy, the greatest oppression that man has ever known, the sin nature that lives inside of us. Well, brothers and sisters, if you would bow with me this morning.